Bloodsport, you are listening to I Saw It in a Movie, an advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I am the old sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kicks, and this is my film pal, The Red Herring. Ryan Silverstein. And each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. So, Ryan, how's it going? I know we took last week off. Yeah, things have been pretty good. I personally am happy that summer is winding down because I enjoy fall. It's my favorite time of year. Um, I just had my official start to spooky season kickoff, which I'll talk about in my flick pick. Um, but I'm I'm ready. I'm eager. I'm happy for for fall to come and at least a change in the season to mark the passage of time. <laughs> Yeah, I also too am glad fall is here because not that it's been like a dreadfully hot summer, but I just don't like when it gets hot at all. I hate sweating and I'm just excited when there's a chill in the air. And like you said, to kick off spooky season because it's definitely like Halloween is my favorite holiday. Same. And fall is my favorite season. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't too hot here compared to other Philadelphia summers I've lived through, but it felt very consistently warm. Right. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like there, were, there weren't too many days where I was like, oh, it's nice out today. It was just like, oh, it's slightly not as bad as it was yesterday. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you were saying, though, for your flick picks, what movies did you see that kicked off your spooky season? So uh, I went back up to the uh, Mahoning Drive-In, um, and it was their, uh, I believe, the fourth annual um, Universal Monster Mash that they've done, uh, where they show uh, old Universal Monster movies. So we were there Friday and Saturday night. Uh, they showed three movies per night. Um and so, like, it's a nice way to, you know, it's the weekend after Labor Day. It's kicking off spooky season, I feel like, the right way because the classic monsters, like, I've always kind of liked them even before I actually saw the movies. Like, I always just like them as characters. And getting more into the films, um, in this case, this weekend, the earliest one they showed was from 1935, which was Werewolf of London. And the... Uh, I guess newest or latest one that they showed was Abbott and Costello meet the mummy from 1955. Uh, And so going back to these kind of classic monsters, I don't know. It just, it just feels like the right way to do it. Yeah. And you actually got to see one of my favorite movies, which I hope you were going to talk about the devil bat. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to talk about my, my two favorites, I think from the weekend were, uh, the devil bat, which is Bela Lugosi as a scientist making formulas. Um, yes. Um, and the formulas are, um, basically like perfumes and this perfume, when you put it on, it attracts the rage I guess the uh, hunting instinct of uh, this particular giant bat that swoops down on you with a deafening scream and then mauls you to death. Um, 
and it's it's fun because a lot i feel like a lot of these uh universal monster movies are not mystery stories and this one is very much it it's almost like a detective story like we as the audience know what's going on well before the characters do um because we understand that this is bela's dr carruthers taking revenge on this rich family that's sort of been exploiting his work um but the characters it takes them a long time way too long i would argue to figure out what's going on well the characters are pretty dumb you know and i love how this movie is essentially against capitalism Mm -hmm. and you know bella is basically taking his revenge like you said because they've exploited him and paid him very little money when he's essentially created their company and right earned them their wealth and they kind of like treat him like he's this simpleton which again to your point like but it takes them so long to figure out what's even going on so like who's really the stupid one yeah um you know, and, and so I, I really enjoyed that overall. It's it's very fun. Um, yeah. I think my other favorite for the weekend, even though I did actually, they played the 1943 film of the opera, which I was surprised by how much opera it's in. And the cinematography is actually really amazing. Um, like it feels like it has a much higher budget than a lot of the other ones. Um, but I did very much like The Son of Frankenstein. Um, if only because there's a lot of source material in there for Young Frankenstein, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, but uh, it, you know, properly restores um, the creature, the monster, to not speaking. Um, yeah. Which I think so is I did. My preference. Sorry. I did see Son of Frankenstein, and I'm actually looking up my Letterboxd review because I don't believe I liked it. No, you did not like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember why, though. Oh, but Bella is in this one, too, which yes. I did. Yes, because he plays a very strange musical instrument. Mm-hmm. Now I'm remembering and I believe afterwards, because um, I watched this with my um, fellow crypt pal, Ashley Jane Carruthers, she ended up Googling to see what that instrument was, but I forget what she had found out. So I'll have to ask her and report back. But do you remember seeing him playing like this weird wooden instrument? Yeah, I couldn't figure out what it was uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's very you know, odd. And, and while it, it's a big, this is this is the third Frankenstein movie in the series after Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein, and it's a big drop off from the Bride, which I actually think is probably my favorite of all of these Universal monster movies that I've seen so far. Um, but I, I don't know, I really enjoyed it. Again, like I just find like this also has Basil Rathbone as the new Baron Wolf von Frankenstein. Um, you know, and like they come to the town, they they actually even make a reference early in the movie to where like people, he's like, I think it's, I think it's his character where he's like, you know, people keep calling the creature Frankenstein, but that's my family's name. And like, 
it, you know, it's funny how in like 1939, they were already having that like very tired argument about like, well, actually Frankenstein refers to the doctor, not the creature. Like, it's just funny that we've <laughs> yeah. been living with this for like almost a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just going back here in my letterbox review. I did see another thing that fired me up was I really wanted, there was, I guess, a small child and I wanted that child to be thrown into the lava and that did not happen. So that was also upsetting to me. And I learned that that child in that movie voices Bambi and I absolutely hate Bambi. Like, I will never watch Bambi again. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot of fondness for Bambi. I thought the, the kid was fine. I really enjoyed the parents and the way that he treated him, where it, it very much felt like a very different kind of parenting style, where they show up to the <laughs> castle. They're like, oh, there's a nanny. Great. Go off with the nanny. Don't bother us anymore. Like, And like he would like come into the dining room and like sit and eat dinner with them. And they'd be like, all right, off you go. Like, um, that's Yeah, that's children are no um and he should have been thrown into the lava also there was some interesting fashion choices i remember frankenstein wearing well the monster i should say wearing like a faux fur top that was yeah, also I mean, very odd he's so definitely... i can't believe you I can't believe you liked this picture. No, I really liked it. He's cuz he's like fr- <laughs> the creature in this one is he's like best friends with Bela's Igor and like Bela's Igor looks like a monk that has given up on life because he sort of has that sort of like you know pseudo Beatles-ish just like hair falling down around his head and then he has like a crazy beard and he like dresses in what looks like to be a series of burlap sacks and so like I feel like, you know, the creature's just at his mercy for how to dress and how to act. And, you know, um, like I said, I just, I really enjoyed it. It's, I found it really fun. Um, I would watch it again, personally, but. Yeah, uh, I probably won't. I probably won't. um, And and maybe it just stood out to me because I, the other ones that they played, I I mentioned Werewolf of London, which I enjoyed. I mentioned Fam of the Opera. Uh, Abbott Mm -hmm. Cancel, Meet the Mummy huge thumbs down um not good and then son of dracula i like the beginning because it's got like a southern gothic horror kind of vibe um but it put me to sleep so okay i missed like the back half of it but apparently i didn't miss much and that's lon cheney jr plays dracula and he's just not the right fit and he's no i mean he is just ugh yeah, so I'm glad, though, that you finally did catch Devil Bat, because, like I said, that is one of my all-time favorite Bella Lugosi films, and it actually was the subject of my first cinematic crypt. So I highly encourage people to seek it out, and you can find it online fairly easily because it is in public domain, so I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that, uh, but they were, mm. as the Mahoning always does, they were showing it on 35 millimeter um, and they were recently struck prints from Universal, apparently. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. Um, so That's all the movies really... actually looked looked pretty good. Yeah, I, I bet. Yeah, so I guess I'll share with you my pick for this week. 
as I mentioned on the show previously, I've been getting together virtually with some film pals on Saturday evenings for what we've now deemed Spaghetti Film Club. Spaghetti is not always involved, but we thought it would be funny to call it that. And we mostly watch horror stuff, and that goes quite well with beverages, and Mm -hmm. you also don't really need to pay full attention. You know, like the stories are pretty simplistic. But sometimes, though, we do watch what I feel are gems of cinema. And I know I've spoken about these on the program before, such as Frogs and Matilda, two movies that I highly recommend you check out, Ryan. Both Mitchums, right? (laughs) No. Frogs is a Milland. Oh, a Milland. Matilda. Matilda, the kangaroo movie that I've told you about. That sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. So last night was another moment, though, in which a diamond in the rough was found. And it was the 1980 flick Fade to Black, which is now streaming on Shudder. And I don't know if you've heard of this one. I have seen people mentioning it on film Twitter recently because with it coming to Shudder, many people were excited because the film was kind of hard to track down before. So I don't know if you have heard about it. I have not, but I'm eager to hear about it now. Yeah. So essentially the movie is about this movie nerd, Eric Binford, and he's completely obsessed with movies. Like his room is plastered with pictures of old film stars of the past. He quotes movies like in his everyday language and he does impressions from films, but they're really terrible. But they're also like, because they're so bad, they're funny type thing. But anyway, he goes, yes, he goes off the deep end. And after being like, it's caused by bullying and being picked on. And he takes on the persona of Cody Jarrett, who is a Jim Cagney character from White Heat, which is one of my favorite flicks um, that Cagney did. And anyway, Eric starts murdering people, but committing the murders in the style of how they were done in some of the movies he likes. So... It's pretty fascinating, and the movie has a lot of clips from old movies, which I was, like, speaking with my husband, Ben, about it afterwards, and it's kind of amazing. Like, it was made in in 1980, so I feel like if some people may watch the movie now, they may not get a lot of the clips that are referenced in it, because, like, for example... A Richard Widmark film, Kiss of Death, is like prominently used throughout the movie, which I feel like I don't know how many people have seen that, you know? So you may Mm -hmm. not get some of the references that it's playing here. But it seriously does have it all. Like it has, like I said, Widmark moments. There's a Marilyn Monroe lookalike. And I highly recommend checking it out. You know, I don't know if you have Shudder. I know you can get it for like a seven day trial or something like that. But it's definitely worth worth it, even if you only get it for a month. 
Yeah, I don't have Shutter at the moment, but I will probably be signing up for Shutter soon to fully indulge in spooky season because I've been working on a letterbox list of uh, movies that I want to watch for the first time um, for this uh, October. And so Shudder, I feel like, is going to be a big help in seeing some of those. Like, I'm very eager to see yes. uh, The Old Dark House. And there's there's a few um, like horror movies that we've bought over the past year or so uh, that we haven't watched yet. And so those are on there as well. Yeah, I think Shudder would definitely be worthwhile right now, especially because I think, well, September 1st, they started promoting like 60 days of horror. So Mm -hmm. essentially, like they are doing a marathon for Halloween for two months rather than just doing it in October, which I think is pretty cool. I definitely agree. Um, Yeah. So I'm trying to get that list up to um 31 so i can watch you know i may not watch one a day but i can at least like get 31 done in side of 31 days in october no that's really cool yeah you'll have to share the list with um with me and then i can post it online for everyone because i'm always interested too i like i've seen quite a number of horror but there's still some outliers that i've missed so yeah, yeah, this isn't uh what I would say is, is a it's a good mix of things that I'm looking forward to watching. Cool. So are you ready for this week's question? I am ready for this week's question. All right, here we go. Dear I saw in a movie. I watch a lot of movies, but I struggled to get into documentaries. What are some of your favorite nonfiction movies? Thanks. What's up, Doc? So I have to admit, like, documentaries are also a bit of a blind spot for me as well. And when I watch them, like, I will typically watch them once and then I don't revisit them. I also realized in our film collection, we don't own a lot of documentaries. I don't know about you. Yeah, we don't own a lot a lot of documentaries. I would say my experience... Um, is similar to yours in the sense that there's only a handful of documentaries that I have rewatched over the years. Um, They're some of my absolute favorites, but I think, you know, I also uh, really struggle with writing about documentaries as a film cricket, as a film critic, not a film cricket. Um, (laughs) But I, and I think part of the struggle is it's like, you know, when you're watching a fiction movie, you understand that the director has like written the story and chosen the story and um, chose to do it a certain style. And I think documentaries are um, mainstream documentaries are getting better because I feel like for a long time it was like, Oh, we have these like talking head interviews. We have some footage of a thing happening. Um, But there's so much variety out there and there's so many more ways to tell these stories that I think, I think I'm I'm getting more interested in documentaries and I feel like I'm better able to start to understand the filmmaking at work in the documentary as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I will say this, you know, after I watch documentaries, I often feel more enriched. Like I feel like they're teaching me things, which is good. And then that makes me 
feel good about myself, like, oh, I took the time, you know, to watch this. And I guess going along with what you're saying about the making of them, I do respect documentarians because I feel what they do is extremely hard, which, you know, I feel I've spoken about this before, but just the hours and hours upon footage that they end up recording and shooting. And then on top of that, like the project could take years until it's actually completed. Mm -hmm. it, it just seems so daunting to me. And, you know, to your point that then they're able to take all of that work and turn it into a story, which can at times turn out completely different than what you thought you were going to, you know, make initially. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what's always so fascinating to me is that, wow, like they end up cutting down probably... I don't know, 30 hours of footage that they shot into like an hour. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's not a lot more than that. And, you right. know, and I think to me, there's a lot of documentaries that I watch. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was fine. Like it was an interesting story or it was something I didn't know about. And I, you know, just learned something interesting. And then there's like, there's a big gap, I feel like, between documentaries that I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that was all right or that was fun or that was interesting. And the ones that are like, wow, this has completely changed my point of view on something, or I didn't know a documentary could do that, or, um, you know, there, there's some kind of surprising way that it's put together beyond that, like, base level of just, like, competent, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And actually, I'm glad you mentioned about, like, the way they're put together and such, because, the one that I ended up selecting for the listener What's Up Doc is the documentary The Mole Agent, which is fairly new. It came out mm -hmm. this year. But what is interesting about the way that it's put together, it's almost like a narrative film, even though it's a documentary, which I think kind of goes along with what you're saying, like they're finding new ways to present the information rather than just having a bunch of people talking at you. Mm -hmm. which is really good, you know, because it does make it more appealing, I feel, for people to watch. Um, but I mentioned this movie because also it was directed by a woman, um, Mata Alberti, I believe is how you say her name. It played at Sundance Film Festival and it got picked up by a rather small distributor. So I thought that was a good way, you know, I wanted to mention it because I feel like I want to, I want people to get out and, and watch this and you can easily do so on demand. Um, but what the story is about is it follows an elderly gentleman as he works as a private investigator. So something that's fascinating about this story is that this guy, this is the first time he's doing this. Like he's never been a private investigator before and he's in his upper 80s. And he was hired by this detective agency after a daughter had reached out to them to hire them. She has suspicions that the nursing home that her mother is in, they are neglecting her and possibly abusing her. So she wanted someone essentially to be a mole in this nursing home and see if her s suspicions are right. 
So the detective agency, the guy, I wouldn't say like he's young, but he's too young to be placed in a nursing home. So he ends up training this elderly gentleman to like go in and essentially be his eyes and ears to tell him what's going on. And, you know, so obviously in the beginning, there's a lot of just challenges with the elderly guy trying to learn how to use like a smartphone and to take pictures and things like that. And so it kind of, even before you get into the nursing home part, it's also showing just like the horror of like being old and Mm -hmm. how fast things move. And I don't know, I always, I always find when they highlight things like that, like I get really scared about my own aging. Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely right there with you. Uh, I think aging as a concept is more and more terrifying, especially as I see my parents get older, um, which feels like it it (laughs) is happening faster and faster than I really want it to. Uh, and in my head, I'm like, well, I'm not that much, I'm not that much younger than they are in the grand scheme of things. And, um, yeah, so I, I definitely, I mean, it sounds like a really interesting concept for a movie and I really like the, the dual story of like the investigation itself and then the, how this investigation is happening. Yeah. And what's really interesting i feel and the filmmaker i feel also got lucky um with the subject because he is great like the guy is a great character like he seems very comfortable being on film and recorded and initially like you know he's hired to do this covert operation so to speak But we also learn through the telling of the story more about him and that he's a widower. And he really wanted to do this job because he wanted to feel like he had a purpose. And again, so it's touching on kind of, you know, what it's like to be elderly and things that they experience. And when he gets to the actual nursing home, like you kind of watch and experience with him just like how grateful he is that he's not in that situation because he has a family to go back to and people that care for him. And because obviously like the nursing home, there is some depressing moments in watching it. And Mm -hmm. again, was giving me kind of like panic attacks. Like I don't ever want to end up in a nursing home. (laughs) Yeah. No, me either. Um, I'm very much of the, I hope I die before I get old kind of (laughs) feeling where it's like, I'd rather just go out while I'm still a functioning person rather than requiring that, that kind of assistance and living in that environment. Um, you know, having had a grandparent in a nursing home, it's just, nobody wants to be there and it's just uncomfortable for everybody. And, You know, I also feel like seeing people who are unfortunately in a worse state than yourself actually makes things like more difficult. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's, it's just Mm -hmm. more depressive, Um, you know, and it's not, it's not those people's fault for being in that state or for being around, but, you know, you see some really um, non-uplifting stuff uh, when you're visiting a nursing home, at least. Yeah. And Again, you know, to your point, you were saying earlier about the devil bat, like, you're also kind of, 
the investigator in some ways because you know what's going on. And mm-hmm. it's similar in this situation, like, you know, he's planted in the nursing home, but at some points it kind of makes it harder to watch because when he starts infiltrating the nursing home, he ends up like becoming so likable to so many of the people staying there. And he's like a breath of fresh air. And then like deep down, you know, you're like, but he's going to leave. <laughs> And these people are going to be so sad. You know, now you don't really see the aftermath, like once he does leave, you know, that's kind of the end of the story. But like, you can imagine like how sad they were. So it's definitely, I found it to be a very moving um, film. And I think it's definitely worth seeking out. The filmmaker doesn't have a lot of credits, um, but I hope she makes some more things because she's definitely, I think, gifted at making documentaries. And it's a pretty swift runtime. Like, I I believe it was only about an hour and a half. So, uh, you know, able to definitely tell a story efficiently. So that's my pick. Um, How about you? What did you pick for the listener? Yeah, I actually have two picks because I was really torn on what direction to go in because, I mean, I could give a list. I have like a, you know, I could give like a list of documentaries that I would recommend to people, especially people who are, you know, don't normally seek out documentaries, have trouble getting into them. To me, I think a lot of the the obvious recommendations uh, rely too much on like, oh, this story is like actually unbelievable because there's like a crazy twist that happens and you won't... um, you just won't believe it. It's like stranger than fiction kind of stuff. And those things are fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not dissing them, but to me to really show off the craft behind a documentary, um, I think relies more on, you know, the filmmaking craft rather than some sort of big uh, twist. So the, the two I wanted to, to share are um, both from last year, actually. Um so the first one is uh, Honeyland, which I think was nominated for Best Documentary. It might also have been dom- nominated for Best Foreign Film at the Oscars last year. Um, I believe and... so, because the title sounds very familiar to me, Honeyland. Yeah, and, and I'm going to be very honest. This is a movie I almost turned off four or five times watching it. Um, it's only 85 minutes long. It is one of the most harrowing experiences I've ever had watching a film. And I was I watched it at home. Um, it's now on Hulu. So it's pretty easy to find. But it's basically uh, about this older woman who's a beekeeper um, in... Uh, it's like one part of Eastern Europe. Um, I'm trying to remember where where exactly it is filmed but basically um you know and she is like you can tell that beekeeping has been part of her family for a long time and she does it very natural like she hikes up on these cliffs where like the bees live they only take half the honey they leave the other half for the bees you know so it's kind of this like sustainable thing and then this other family shows up like and are like her new neighbors and you know this is a, a woman who is extremely like in poverty um, doesn't really have access to healthcare. Her situation seems very fragile. And, 
the family that moves in like is like oh beekeeping like we can try to do that too and um they also have like some domesticated animals and it just really upsets the balance of this woman's world basically and what i found so interesting about the documentary is that this is on the far extreme of being entirely observational so there's not really a lot of interaction between the main uh, woman who the documentary is about and the filmmakers. It's more them just like following her. She goes about her day and seeing the things that she sees. And, you know, I think they were with her, with her for like a year, year and a half. Um, and a lot happens in that time. And then they edit all together to make it this really just, you know, it's a very empathetic kind of portrait it doesn't feel exploitative of this woman but it's very you know it's very much like you feel her frustration when she's frustrated you feel her sadness you feel her kindness and when you know she seems just very genuine and you know her situation is a lot different from a lot of us today um but i think our feelings are the same and i think this kind of gets to that point in a very interesting way yeah, it does sound, though, like it would be hard to watch. Uh, but at the same point, I do, this was what I was trying to, I guess, articulate earlier, was that I find watching things like that to be rewarding because mm-hmm. it opens you up to a different type of person and a different life and experience. And that's so important you know, to take the time to try to understand what other people go through and what their life is like. So it, it sounds like something I should definitely check out. Yeah. And, and like I said, it's, it's not an easy watch, but I would agree. It's very rewarding and just very eye-opening and just well done. And it's, you know, it, it, it's one of those where it's hard to watch because it is also very human. And like, like I said, I think the emotions in it and the things that she struggles with, we all struggle with on some, but you know, the form that it takes is different depending on how our lives are. But um, I think the core of it is very identifiable for any of us. Um, The other one I wanted to mention is kind of on the, on sort of the opposite side of the spectrum, which is Peter Jackson's documentary, they shall not grow old. Um, so he took World War I footage um, that had been filmed before and cleaned it up, colorized it, added sound. Um, and then, you know, because the, a lot of the footage didn't have dialogue in it, you know, he plays this, he plays interviews with World War I veterans uh, over this footage and kind of, you know, they're, they're not talking about the exact footage, but they're talking about the same experiences, whether it's like, you know, getting... Um, and these are all British soldiers, soldiers, I, sh- I should say. And, um, you know, whether they're talking about their experiences at like training camp or in battle or waiting for battle or whatever it is, I just found it really enlightening because it's, again, it's all archival footage. You know, obviously no one, uh, I don't think there are any living World War One veterans at this point. Um, but I think when we see old film footage, that's like, you know, and this is like silent era stuff. So the, like the speed can be a little wonky. Like it doesn't feel as present as when we see, you know, news footage on Twitter, let's say. Um, but 
there's so much of this that is because uh, the focus of the documentary is not about the battles or the strategy or why the countries were fighting. It really is about your average British soldier and what his experience would have been like. And, you know, seeing them in color, seeing the timing of the footage um, sort of put back to 24 frames a second, um, it really brings these people to life. And, you know, they look like people that we know, you know, they are familiar to us, I think, in a way that the difference in film technology you know, kind of gets in the way sometimes, you know what I mean? And like seeing this footage, um, not raw, but like very much processed in a particular way in order to emphasize the realism of it actually was completely, just completely eye-opening. And it it made um, their lives that much more understandable to me. Yeah, this sounds really interesting. I never even heard of it before. I didn't even know that Peter Jackson made a documentary. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it came out a little over a year ago, I guess, um, for the okay. centennial of the end of World War One. Uh, it's on HBO Max now, if you have that streaming service. Um, oh, it may nice. be on regular HBO as well. I don't know what all the <laughs> what all the differentiations are, but um, yeah, I actually that's... saw it in the. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say the various HBO platforms are so confusing to me. I was just discussing that with Ben today because there's also like HBO Now. And I'm like, I don't know what any of these are. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I know is that HBO Max, I think, has like all the stuff. And okay, gotcha. When I I looked into it, it was the same price as subscribing through my cable package. So, um, but anyway, um, so I highly, I highly recommend it. I saw it in the theater where it was actually presented in 3D. The footage had also been upconverted to 3D. Um, oh, wow. And it was just really, th- like, that actually made it even more real in, in a way. And, you know, it was the use of 3D where everything sort of gets depth. You know, it, it wasn't about, like, things coming at the screen. It was more about, again, bringing life to these people who were, you know, young young men most of them um very young men a hundred years ago and kind of a peek into what their experience uh was like i mean the the restoration is actually incredible and um you know it's just really cool that peter jackson did this and you know all of his experience with film technology and uh all that you know there's a personal aspect to it where uh, i think it was his grandfather fought in that war and you know, it sort of helped him connect to him in a different way. And it's dedicated to all the veterans and things. But, you know, for me, um, and this is not to cast cast any disservice to 1917, because the goal of that movie, I feel like, is very different. But, like, I would go back to this documentary before I watch 1917 ever again. You know what I mean? But it did make me appreciate okay. that movie in a different way, because I feel like I understood because that's like the, you know, one mission. Well, it's like one crazy mission this guy has to go on. Whereas like, I think this is much more focused on like, what food did they eat? Where did they go to the bathroom? Like, what did they do when there wasn't battle? Like, what was, what were the trenches actually like? Um, all those kinds of questions is really what this documentary is, is focused on. Interesting. Yeah. So I will definitely keep an eye out for it. 
Um, but yeah, like, like I said, as someone who just enjoys documentaries, I wanted to give kind of examples on either end where one is like pre-existing footage that they've done, then assembled to tell kind of a story. Uh, and then one where it's, it's like super, like almost cinema verite where they're just following somebody around and the story kind of right. unfolds before their eyes. So they're, they're two different approaches, but I think they both do a good job of, you know, cause I think my favorite, my favorite kind of documentary is where you really get to understand the experience of another person, you know, or uncover a story that you wouldn't have heard about otherwise. And I think that both of these actually accomplish that really well by taking very different approaches. All right. Before we sign off, don't forget you can find a breakdown of the episodes on moviejohn.com, where you can also subscribe to our quarterly print zine. And please make sure to visit, again, moviejohn.com slash shop. Also, you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at I Saw in a Movie. And if you're seeking movie advice, send us your questions at dearisawinamovie at gmail.com. Also, we really love postal mail. And so you can write to us at P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA, 19145, Attention Movie John. And Ryan, I don't know if I told you, but we got another letter in the mail. Oh, I did not know that. I'm very excited. Yeah, so we will probably end up doing that question on the next episode so be on the lookout for that but i'm very excited that we're starting to get mail yeah me too and i wanted to put the specific call out there that if you have a you know horror or spooky related question now is definitely the time to send them so that when we schedule and record our october episodes we'll have those ready to go so if you're thinking about um, you know, asking us about those kinds of movies for the season, then now's the time. Yes, definitely. Send us spooky questions. So Ryan, where can people find you at on the internet? Sure. Uh, you can find uh, my writing on cinema76.com and you can also find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Silver Whenever. That's with a B. You can find me on Instagram at the.oldsport or Twitter at bonjouroldsport. Also, check out my other podcast, Cinematic Crypt, in which I go six feet under to uncover films of Hollywood's past. Find it wherever you catch your pods or download at moviejohn.com. So before we go, I will leave uh, the listener with a piece of advice from my film. Did you find a piece of advice too, Ryan? Uh, not not really just based on the way that these movies are structured, but um, I would definitely advise everyone to try to watch a documentary this week. Just something that seems interesting to you. There's a ton of them on pretty much every streaming service. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I too didn't have like obviously a specific quote like I normally do from a movie, but I do feel that you should take this advice um, after watching The Mole Agent. I was reminded that it's never too late. Um, So if you want to be a writer or a filmmaker or you want to learn how to play the tuba, you should just go for it. It's never too late to try something. So that's what I took away from the movie as well. Um, But yeah, I like yours too, though. Just watch a documentary. Well, thanks for listening, and until next time, remember, for every question, there is a movie with the answer.
Bye. Bye-bye.